Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. Brian, I've done about 10 podcasts of at least 45 minutes of length in the last five days. What have you done? Listen to most of those podcasts <laughs> that you have done. This should um, highlight to all of the listeners that we have no lives no, whatsoever. No, I know. And well, the kicker of it is, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts in general because I have a, a very long commute. I have an hour, 20-minute commute each way. And so I load up on podcasts. So when, like, you do one or friends of mine do one, I usually download it and just have it on in the car. Last week I was on break. I didn't have I didn't have my commute anywhere, and I was still listening to you guys talk about um, about Indiana basketball and everything going on there. Um, they are great. I'll, I, I will say this as someone who is casually in, in, involved in, into and involved with Indiana basketball through basically this podcast, my friendship with you and several other people. Um, it's been really interesting to listen to, and uh, they're all are they all at CrimsonCast.com? Is that where you where they live? That's correct. That's right. where they live. All right. I will throw uh, a link to that in show notes. But if you guys are at all interested on in when we talk Indiana basketball or on what the story going on out there, um, they're worth a listen. Because we were saying before we hit hit record, it is you know this is all we're going to talk about Indiana basketball because God knows you need something else to talk about. But um, it does feel like there's such a stark division between kind of the, the narrative being pushed in the national college basketball media and what I'm hearing and reading locally from you guys. It's really that there's always a division, but it feels really stark this time more so than usual. It's, it's a really fascinating sort of dichotomy and you know, it, it really does fascinate me to think about how, exactly this stuff plays with other schools now that I've seen it happen with the school that I am the closest to. I mean, because mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, I get we talked about this a little bit last week on the podcast. I get the idea that, you know, the national guys, their their primary sources are the coaches. They don't have a lot of sources on the ground at the individual places. And, you know, they're going to parachute in and they're going to have their takes and, and you know, they're they're going to basically say what they say and not expect to brook much resistance, certainly not from anybody outside of those individual markets, because, you know, the people in the markets, they can always write them off as being zealots, and the people outside the markets probably aren't going to give a crap. Right. Um, but no, it's been really bad here, and it's just, I've been, the thing I think I've been the most fascinated by is all the, you know, all the people who have been arguing, oh yeah, you know, the logical, the natural choice is Steve Olford. Like, that's a no-brainer. Like, IU fans, that's who IU fans want. And, man, I can tell you, that is not the case no. uh, with any like anybody that I've run across. Um, I would say probably, you know, eight out of ten people that I've talked to want no part of Steve Olford coaching IU no, uh, for a, for a variety of reasons. I was going to say, is that because of like the the messy stuff that happened at Iowa? Is that expectations? Is that they don't think he's very good? I think it's a combination of, of a couple of things. Certainly, there's a segment of the audience that is is disquieted by what happened uh, at Iowa with the Pierre Pierce incident. Um, you know, and I mean, many people have argued, okay, it was 15 years ago. There have been no follow-up incidents that would indicate a pattern. Uh, I think for most people, the turnoff is uh, a relatively underwhelming coaching resume. It's not a bad resume, but it's certainly not a step up from Tom Crean. And for most of the 
fans out there, I think, you know, they're kind of expecting, you know, like Zeus uh, or whatever the coaching equivalent of Zeus is to descend from Mount Olympus and take take their spot on the sidelines at Assembly Hall. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I think it's I think there's old. We've almost gotten to the point where the uh, the anti Alfred vitriol online at least has made him underrated as a coach, right? Which I I didn't think was going to be possible, right? But we're kind of at that point. But yeah, it's been a pretty negative environment as far as that's concerned, and yet that's the narrative that's get gotten pushed by a bunch of people, mm-hmm. um, and even other stuff like you know, it's it's interesting when you when you know people who are close to the program, when you know people that are close to the boosters, um, that's not. Uh, a group of people who, you know, who the, the the national media tend to have a lot of contacts with. Right. So when I hear when I hear like the name Greg Marshall getting thrown out as a legitimate candidate, it's like no, like I can tell you that like from a cultural perspective, that's not the sort of guy that we're we're seeing um, talked about here at all. So okay. no, it's just it's just interesting the the separation between the two. Sure. Um- all right, there are a couple IU related questions that we got from from listeners, and we can kind of they're they're not like super in depth Indiana basketball. They're kind of fun tangential questions, so we can um, we can talk about them in a few minutes. Um, before we get to, we should compare brackets because we talked last week of how crappy they were going to be. Um, but uh, what's your what's your beverage of choice this evening? Having a champagne velvet from Upland Brewing Company. Okay, what kind of beer is that? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Champagne Velvet is um, it is a prohibition style pilsner. Oh, okay. So this was apparently a beer that was um, that was being brewed, I think, in Bloomington. Um, it's uh, like in the early 1900s. Okay, interesting. Um, and you know, ultimately, uh, they they decided to resurrect the recipe, and it's a good beer. I actually. You know what? I didn't like it for a long time. I thought it was kind of weak flavored. I, I just it, my palate didn't really want to accept it. And then one weekend last year, I had a couple of them at a friend's house, and it's like I turned a corner, and and all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, that's 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 really good stuff. I like it. Nice. So I'm I kind of went off board today. I've got a, a Tangeray and tonic. Well, okay. Well, see, I almost went that route, and yeah. I decided not to because I wanted to stay conscious throughout the course of the podcast. So ah, well, that's why. That's why I'm only going. I'm, I'm only going with one. And and no, I've, I've come to the realization lately. I don't know if it's that I'm getting old or just drinking a lot of very hoppy beers. Um, but like beer has not been sitting super great with me lately. And yeah. and so you know the gin and tonic, you know, and it's kind of. Today was a springy day. We're going to be in the 20s tomorrow, so it's kind of like my homage to the weather hopefully starting to get better around these parts. So, Well, I will, uh, I will certainly um, hope that you recover. I've been kind of dealing with the same thing myself to some degree, so um, I think we all just need to convalesce as much as we possibly can. Absolutely. So, All right, so we talked last week about how terrible we both are at picking brackets. Um, and so are you in the ESPN uh, did you do your bracket through the ESPN tournament I, challenge? I I have one through there. Yes. Okay. I'm just I'm just gonna use that one because that's where I have mine. It's kind of like a a standardized like scoring system. So I will say right now I have 420 points in my bracket. I have I see. There's no easy way to see. I well I lost Villanova straight up. So that me too. Sucked. 
Um, so let's see. I lost, let's see. I'm going to count my Sweet 16 teams here. So Florida. Whoa, that's how the bracket sucked. Gonzaga, West Virginia, Arizona, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Oh, I have 11 Sweet 16 teams left, including three of my Final Four. So, Well, congratulations. Thank Let's you. see. Uh, so I skunked my East region, uh, which is hard to do. It really oh, is hard I, oh, to I, do. Oh, my, my East. Oh, God, that's abysmal. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's oof. Um. Unfortunate, unfortunate, but true. So I, I have zero teams there. I have three of my four um, Midwest Sweet 16 teams. I have all four of my South, oh, nice. and and I have yeah. um, three of my four West. So uh, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six. So I have ten of my 16 Sweet 16s. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's funny. Like in, in hindsight, of course, taking all 12, four number 12 seeds to win and one number 12 to make the Sweet 16 did not help my cause very much. But um, but it's been such a chalky kind of tournament so far that I really didn't get hurt too badly by that. I, I took Michigan to the Sweet 16, which is kind of kind of helping my cause out a little bit. But but I always find it funny when I fill out brackets. And I know you're probably not like this because you actually put a lot of thought into stuff like this. But like I, I, I found it... Like people tend to really sweat who they're gonna pick in the first round games, and then once you kind of get past the Sweet Sixteen, it's just kind of like filling in. Like I feel like people, a lot of people, and myself included, put a lot less thought into the second and third weekend, and that's when you know that's where that's where you win the money. So, yeah, um, I my problem is I always overthink. I mm-hmm. think, and and you know, this year I was pretty convinced that. Uh, the, there was there was a, a weak middle of the field, and that the top seeds were going to prevail, and I was really wrong on that. Yeah. So, um, so what's your point? Do you have points in your ESPN thing, or are you not? Um, points. Because they have like the. Play. I'm looking for where is it? Uh, let's see. Top. So I my points are not good. I have okay. 430 points. Oh, you're beating me by 10 points. There you go. Yeah, ah, but well, but my um, I think I don't know what my cap is at this point. But I mean, right now, I mean, yeah, I, I could still I've still got three of my four final four teams alive. Yeah, but I just I mean, I lost my champion. So basically, I'm oh, toast. was a villain over your champion? It was villain. It was villain. Oh, bummer. That stinks. Yeah, I have nine hundred and sixty possible PPR. I'm, my PPR is very good or solid. I think. Yeah. Um, so cool. So, all right, let's get to some of the topics we got from uh, from listeners. As always, we welcome any topic you want us to spend at least one minute on. If you uh, hit us up, on, we usually post something on Facebook uh, on the days we record. Also, hit us up at Twitter at hashtag FlipsidePod with topics. So we'll go to the ones that you got on Twitter first because they're two kind of uh, they're two kind of Indiana related questions. Then we have a. a a bridge Indiana question from our friend Matt Zimmerman to take us out and into something. But let's do the first question from at Dave C. Warren. Hi, Dave. Uh, he tweeted this at you. How awesome IU women's games are. Great team. Sit anywhere you want. Hang out on the on court afterwards, assembly hall, etc. We don't really talk about IU um, women's. We re- almost never talk about women's basketball on this podcast, and we've never really brought up IU women's basketball. So fill us in. I mean, they're they're nice experiences. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know what I would say beyond what Dave already said. I mean, <clears throat> they're a lot um, they're a lot more chill. 
than men's games. Um, I mean, it's a smaller crowd. They play in the same cavernous facility. You know, I mean, it's a 17,500 seat arena and, you know, you're getting probably a thousand people a game, I'd say. Um, Hey, you know, look, I mean, it's a good time when you go. And and, I mean, the basketball is better now. I mean, I remember when I was a student, the women's team was, was frankly just not good. Mm -hmm. Um, at all, and uh, they've done a really good job under the last two coaches of fielding a much more competitive team. They're in the the women's NIT, okay, and they're gonna. I mean, you know, they're playing in the Sweet Sixteen of the women's NIT, so you know, good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's there. You know what? It's a, it's a good experience, and uh, you know, it's it's a very economical experience. Uh, you know, particularly for families right. with kids, because. Um, you know, it, it costs, you gotta, you gotta have a ticket regardless of how old you are to get into assembly hall for the men's games, but the, for the women's games, they're a little more lax about those sorts of things. So. Sure. And yeah, I, but no, I mean, I mean, look, I think a lot, and look, I've, I've done a lot of, been to a lot of women's basketball games in my lifetime. When I was in broadcasting, you know, the, the year that I spent as a, as a high school, um, broadcaster in Iowa, um, sure. Probably did more women's basketball than men's basketball because our women's team was really good or our girls' team was really good. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly if you like if you like women's basketball, uh, it's it's a good place to go. I, I have found it, and this is obviously you know the parent in me, and you will you'll come to know this too that how you, you it, th- there's a certain real value both economically and just experience wise of you know, the lower key sporting events. And often that is women's sporting events or like a D three basketball game or something like that. Because you, you know, you, you know, we never, it's funny. Um, when I was at grad school at Syracuse, I, I was there, what, five years, never went to a sporting event at SU in the five years huh. I was there. Now, part of it was, I was always commuting either. I lived in Binghamton or I lived out here in Rochester. That's a, that's a hall. But a lot of it was my daughter was little. She was just born. She was born while I was in grad school and she was, for uh, three and a half when I graduated. And so to take her to a football game or a men's basketball game at the Carrier Dome, I mean, it's a monetary investment, first of all, because you have to have a ticket, but also in terms of like the overwhelmingness of a, of a big time sporting event can be a lot for a little kid to take in, like all the, the noise. And if you have people drinking and, you know, not necessarily like in a bad, like Bill's parking lot kind of way, but just, you know, <laughs> sensory overload, it can be a lot. Um, and you know, it, it's kind of that, well, I don't want to spend what $20 on a 20, 30 bucks on a ticket. And we may have to bail after a ha- at halftime or you know, the kid's not going to have fun. And it's going to be just a waste of money and you're not going to have fun because you're taking care of the kid. But the smaller, like, like an IU women's basketball game, it sounds like, like the perfect, it's more inexpensive. It's a lot quieter. It's a lot kind of a more chill environment and they're seeing really good basketball and they're seeing kind of a high quality high quality product on it. So I've come to, I've come to really like, like that and appreciate that, you know, from a, as, as a parent who, um, wants to, t- wants to take his kid to sporting events, but has to be kind of judicious about it. I think that's fair. I don't know. I mean, like we've taken our daughter to a couple of men's basketball games, which, you know, have been full force, 17,000 people. She's really enjoyed them. She loves cool. the band. Oh, sure. she loves, she dances along to the band and all that stuff, and she thinks that the players are funny. Okay. Um, you know, but uh, no, I mean, look, I think there's value in a variety of different scales of entertainment. Right. And, 
um, you know, I think for a lot of people, they feel more comfortable with bringing their kids to, you know, to the, the, like the less attended games, the ones that are a little more intimate. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that. And, And I'm sure that at some point I will likely, uh, you know, be taking my daughter to a lot of those games. We're not quite there yet, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that'll come soon. You know where I had the best experience with with uh, our daughter? She was at a at a sporting event. It was the Rochester Red Wings, who were the AAA affiliate of the Twins, I think. Um, and my wife got th- free tickets to her job, and Ellie was, I think, two and a half at this point when we went. And like we were sitting in our seats and she was a little, like it was a little much, you know, just noise and, and, and people and, you know, we're up in the upper deck and it's not a big stadium, but it's still far enough away. They have at, at Rochester's baseball field, they have, uh, green, uh, grass burns along the outfield line. So like deep, uh, deep left and deep right along, right along, like where the wall, like right along where the wall occurs to the foul pole, like right there in the corners there. They have, right. like, G, uh, GA, like, open grass areas that you can go sit in, kind of play around in, roll around in. And it was amazing. She had such a re- – she had a really, really good time there. Um, she uh, – you know, it's far enough away from the from home plate that you're not going to get a screamer line drive. You don't have to worry about that. Um, it was just – it was it was a total, total amount – total huge – just a really a good time. And uh, we've been meaning to get her back to it because like, my kid's a theater kid. But I think that you know, being able to sit in the grass outside on a base on, in a baseball day rather than have to kind of sit in a seat, I think is really genius for for like a family admission. They have that at soccer here oh, okay. um, for men's and women's soccer. Both um, there's a big hill that uh, is right next to Bill Armstrong Stadium, and you know, whenever you go, you'll have the parents sitting in the stands or standing next to the stands. And then you'll have the kids over there just, just rough housing on the hill. Right. Um, so it's great. You know, I mean, everybody wins, you get to watch some good soccer and, and they get to basically go nuts for uh, two hours or however long it takes. That's fantastic. So, all right. So the other, so another, the other Twitter question you got, um, and it's Indiana related and this is good. This is from at assembly call. Hi assembly. Um, what nineties pop song properly sums up, the Tom Crean era at IU. This has been killing me. I've been th- <laughs> I've been thinking about this ever since the question was posed, and I'm really struggling to come up with an answer that I'm satisfied with. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, I mean, because there's a lot of factors to take in mind. There's the there's the you know the the, the sonic quality of the sound mm-hmm. and and uh, of the of the song. I mean, there's the lyrics. That you know, there's there's like the atmosphere. I mean, all of that kind of feeds in. Um, I got two, not- I, so I got two I can throw out at you, and they're probably horribly inaccurate, but I'll go for it. Okay. So the first one that popped into my head is you two stuck in a moment. So stuck in a moment, you can't get out of it. Um, which it's ironic because because you two is Tom Crean's favorite band oh, by really? far. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, no, no. They used to come out the 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 starting lineup music was was the instrumental beginning of where the streets have no name. Seriously, huh? Um, well, well. There's two. Um, I mean, I mean, that's kind of disqualified because it came out in 2000. So, um, but it's kind of 90s. Yeah, two, 2000 was still the 90s. It was still I mean, the 90s music wise. Yeah, I would go. So, so I'm just thinking lyrically right now. And this, I, I, I happen to see a friend post this this on uh, this song randomly on Facebook. 
in the last year or so, so it's in my head. But I'm going to go Flagpole Sitter by Harvey Danger because oh, of the line, I'm not sick, but I'm not well. And yeah, I think that yeah. that purpose perfectly kind of encapsulates what I'm understanding about IU basketball. Like, you're not in, the, you're not rock bottom, so you're not sick, but, you know, you did, you're not well. You're not at the level that you think you should be. So I'm going to go with, uh, uh, that's my vote for it. Flypole Sitta, Sitta. As as the kids say, by Harvey Danger. I'm gonna. Uh, I've got. I'm of two different minds here. Okay. Um. The 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 easy one is is the uh, letters to Cleo version of "I want you to want me." <laughs> that's good. Because uh, I mean, it just kind of that's always the way I felt. It's like Crean was always kind of like desperate for the fan base to fully embrace him. Right. And and it just never quite worked out for him. Um, and I think if um, it, I think if I'm doing something a little more lyrically um, influenced, but also still within that overall kind of vein, I would go with "Losing a Whole Year" by Third Eye Blind. Ooh, that's good. Um, I'm not going to quote all of the lyrics, but if you go and read the lyrics, if you if you stretch it a little bit, you could. You could probably use these lyrics to describe um, either the the Crean perspective of the relationship or the IU fans perspective of the relationship. <laughs> All right, that works. By the way, do you, I, I, one of one of my buddy's favorite lines we, when we were when we were young was that you know, and a band like Harvey Danger makes me think of this. You could probably in any decent sized city or anywhere. Go up to somebody in a bar and say, "Yeah, I played bass in Harvey Danger." Yeah. Are you gonna know? Do you have any idea what Harvey Danger looks like? I mean, it's a band. It's not a dude named Harvey. It's a band. I, I, mean, I yes, think I, I know because I watched the video a couple of times. Okay. I remember. Okay. But no, I I know what you're saying. It's like if you said you played you you played like synths for fastball, <laughs> right? You know, or something like that. I mean, I've, I've, I've often thought I should start doing that. Like, you know, like when I was younger and single and yeah. like in my mid twenties, like, you know, you could, you could go to a bar, particularly with the way my hair looks now, if I'd had that oh, back when I was, oh, you could, pull, you could totally pull that off. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like I was the, like I was the second guitarist in like Everlast or something like nice. that. Everlast. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a pull. pull. Yeah. That's that- a pull. That's that's, a, <laughs> that's something right there. Actually, I'd I'd probably quit if I was actually the second guitarist to never last. That that song was really annoying. Oh God, it was t- yeah. It, it it was one of those songs where like at first time you heard it, and like whoa, it's guitar and he's rapping and this is something. This is the future. And then you realize no, 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 not. So can much. I? You know? Can I give you a band from that era? I was I heard the other day and I I kept. They're they're like one of the few bands that I actually kind of liked that that straddled the eighty or the nineties and the two thousands because that was that that was that weird period of time. Sure. Uh, but but uh, and and I didn't really I only liked their singles. I wasn't terribly fond of the albums, but but the band Fuel. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was actually they had an interesting sound going. It was like it was like. It was it was almost to Creed, but they kept it just far enough away that you didn't feel guilty about it that much. Right. Plus, it actually had like decent melody going on most yeah, of the time. Fuel had some really catchy songs, like, really yeah. good hooks. And I remember, I remember when Chris Daughtry was on American Idol, 
And like his big performance was he did one of the Fuel songs, and he did it better than Fuel did. He just did a fantastic job of it. And after he was voted off, Fuel actually offered him the lead singing role in their tour in their band. No and, he, and he turned it down to go solo. Um, and he had his you know post idol career and all. Yeah, but um, so yeah. By the way, the best thing about having Spotify and Spotify Premium is just being able to go back down the '90s music and just yes! fall, fall down a rat hole. So two, I've been listening to a lot. Um, I've rediscovered my love of radio of '90s Radiohead. So the okay. Bends I've been listening to a lot, and like those are those things where like you don't want to say, "Wow, the Bends is a great album." Like no shit. Like, hey, Abbey Road, that was really good. The Benz, <laughs> that's fantastic. But it, but, but it always, it, 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 I've been listening to it to, to that, and the song Black Star has just been on repeat for me lately. But also, and what I think is the most underrated band and song of the entire '90s and the entire grunge era, Alice in Chains, No Excuses. Yeah. Well, okay. So Alice in Chains is an interesting, interesting. Um, they are. Yes. There. Yeah, like it's, but they're like they're kind of. I almost don't count them as a grunge band. No, they're they're, they're that they're, they're a metal band that like kind of got lumped in because they came right. out at the same time. But well, they and they were like, and they were a Seattle group, and like right. they, no one knew what the hell the labels meant at that point. Absolutely, right. right. I mean, they were definitely definitely the heaviest and like, um, yeah, that the, the like most metal of that whole like of that scene but jar of flies the the ep that they put out i think it was in 94 because it was my junior and senior year of high school we listened to that forever and that is such a it's an interesting album it's very much more acoustic um it's a it's not an album it's an ep it's a six or seven song ep and just wonderful like if all you know of Allison Chains, I know we have some younger listeners, younger than us at least. If all you know of Allison Chains is like the heavy stuff you hear on the radio, like Rooster or Man in a Box or something like that, give Jar of Flies a spin on on your streaming era of, on your streaming channel of choice. I think you'll be surprised by it. I'll give it a shot. Okay. I just I just listened the other. So one of the things I've been doing, like we'll be cooking dinner and the baby loves music, so right. we will. We will play music um, while the baby is is like hanging out on the floor, and she just loves it. She thinks it's great. But I'll, I'll try to pick random albums from various eras. And uh, what the hell is the name of the album that we just played? The Alice and yeah, the full Alice in Chains album. The okay. um, um, uh, uh, what the hell is it called now? Um, I'm 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 struggling uh, with this. You, okay, this you, is can, great, you This is great radio you, here. You, uh, dirt. 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 Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know, um, which which again, it's a good good album, but that's that's some that's some heavy stuff there, yeah, as is. the kids would say. I mean, <laughs> it is. right. So I don't know. I I'm a I'm I'm I I don't think they're I do think they're a little bit underrated, but only by certain people. And I'd say they're they're very highly rated, not overrated, but like very highly rated by people who know about them. So that's maybe it's point. not an underrated issue. It's more of a Underknown issue. Underknown, sure. Underknown, or they're better known in a genre with which I'm not. Um, I don't live in. So, like, I don't live in like the heavy metal world. So, I don't know how, how Allison Chains is viewed in there. So, um, but the, but I remember writing a column about about Lane Staley when he died. I was 
still working in Olean and, and writing columns at the time. And I was writing a lot of music stuff. And when he died, I remember, you know, they were like, of all those Seattle bands, it was like, and, 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 and this has changed since then in the 10 years. They've had a, a really long, a surprisingly long shelf life compared to some of the other bands out of there. But like, they never had that one at the time had that one album, right? They never had their Nevermind, their 10, their, um, shit, the Soundgarden album, Super Unknown. Um, they never had that one big, great album that, like, kind of defined them. They always had, like, good song, uh, very good songs throughout albums, but they didn't have that one kind of masterpiece type album. Um, but they've had longevity. Like, I feel like they're, they're, they're still listened to a little more than Soundgarden. Um, and you know, kind yeah, of, and I mean, kind of Sa- Pro Jam and Nirvana are their own little world. And Soundgarden is one of those bands that I always felt like I should like more than I did. Um, I always wrote nice things about them because if you were writing about music at the time, you had to write nice things about Soundgarden. But I don't know, like they never stuck with me in a big way. Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots, I feel like, get unfairly graded during this era. Okay. Because, again, I think people were trying to grade them on something that they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, and I get that. That's that's an understandable phenomenon. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think Soundgarden's, they're good. I mean, they're not, are they great? No. But not everybody was going to be great during that era. And sure. I think you needed a broad middle, um, you know, in order to, to have the, the highs and, and also the lows. And I think they filled that very well. They had some very memorable songs. Um. And, you know, I mean, they, again, were kind of a, a little more, I don't know if they were necessarily metal, but they, their, they, as, their, their aesthetic was not punk. Mm-mm. And I think that that was an important part of the, 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 the 90s alt scene that gets missed sometimes. It's like... It had its roots in punk rock. Absolutely, it did. Well, some of it did. Well, you know, I mean, the, and the, like the, Nir- yeah. Nir- Nirvana gets held up. As, as examples of that sonic youth and then that led into you know a lot of the jangly pop you know came from a different source and you know pearl jam was really you know sourced out of uh, of kind of a metal background there was just a lot of different influences and mm-hmm. so i think you needed all of those precursor bands to get what you got in the middle of the decade right. um yeah so i don't you know there's, there's like everything kind of squeezed together for a few years into something that was uh, unique and then it all just kind of fell apart i mean it is it is fascinating you go back to you listen to like a nirvana song a pearl jam song a soundgarden song uh allison chains and stone temple pilots and to think that they were all kind of popularly lunch lum, lumped together as like the same bands and they are very five just those five five very different bands very different sounds very different backgrounds kind of very different uh source material like like yeah, Nirvana came from like the Sonic Youth and the uh, the Pixies kind of vibe on it, and Pearl Jam was very much more, you know, Neil Young and the Who influence on them. Um, and but to see them kind of lumped together in hindsight is really funny. Like at the time, it probably it made sense because we didn't know any better. And it's it you know it is funny to think back at look back at music in the '90s, especially like the early '90s, like that grunge era. And to think about it now, and how it it, it feels in hind in, in hindsight and in memory, it feels like really really important that there was a label that they that we collectively society was were able to had to put on this music, and we called it grunge, um, which is funny because there's nothing grungy about Nirvana sound at all. Like you know, when I think of when you hear the word grunge, you think of like 
like Soundgarden or like the like you know Allison Chains like that drop D power chord move and and you know and and to kind of lump them all together and like oh they're playing guitars and they're all from Seattle so it's similar no no so I find that interesting looking back at it, at looking back at in hindsight. I love I love the the dictionary definition of grunge, Ooh. a style of rock music characterized by a raucous guitar sound and lazy vocal delivery. <laughs> lazy vocal delivery. And then they and then but and then they cite as their examples of of um, gr- successful grunge albums. Right. Never mind by Nirvana, Ten by Pearl Jam, Super Unknown by Soundgarden, mm-hmm. Dirt by Alice in Chains, and Core by Stone Temple Pilots. None of those have lazy vocal delivery there's, at all. There's nothing lazy about Eddie Vedder's vocals at all. I mean, especially there's, on 10. That's ridiculous. There's nothing lazy about Kurt Chris Cobain's Corn- vocals. No, I mean, not that, at all. That's, that's the stupidest thing I think I've ever read. My that's, God. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, so, by the way, I'm at some point, I, I, I keep putting this off because, I don't know, I just keep putting it off. I'm going to write a long essay on the first 25 seconds of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I listen to that. I, I love that's one of my you know one of my favorite songs. But I will listen to the first twenty five seconds and just hit, keep hitting back and hit that first part from like the opening chord up until up through like the up up until the that first one like that first. I love that riff so much. I can I I think it is. I, I think it's the best 25 seconds of recorded music ever, or at least and definitely the most influential. And uh, hmm. I just love it so much. Interesting. So, all right, let's I move mean, on. I, I enjoy that a great deal. I don't know if I go that far. Okay, let me re- revise my, my remarks. It's my favorite. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you walked out there. That's fine. No, well, I, I will also say I think it's the most influential, given what it brought about in pop music and kind of rock music. Um, but anyway, um, oh, we need a '90s deep dive show at some point. That would be good. Didn't we do that already? Uh, we can uh, we can do that. What we're not going to repeat material now? That's a thing we sure. do. All Fair right. Point. So uh, two questions uh, from Matt Zimmerman, a very good friend of the show. So we'll do the IU one first, and then we'll get to the journalism one. Um, da, da, da. I'm gonna I'm I'm fully passing this one on to you because I got nothing on this. So Matt asks. If the IU basketball candidates are Star Trek guest stars, Steve Albert is, Steve Alford is Stone Stan S T O N Stan 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 right? Having everyone else talk for him and about him while he stands there with a dumb look on his face, and there is no logic in preferring him over Archie Miller. I go. I got nothing. Um, I, I'm more on the Star Trekky of Star Trekness of it than the um, than the IU basketball of it because. I I, I I did I, I did ask that there not be uh, any questions about the coaching surge, and this is kind of a violation of that. But okay. Uh, that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Matt doesn't like Steve Alford. Uh, I'm I'm a bit ambivalent on Steve Alford as a coach. Um, but um, no, I don't think that he's Stan. I think he's actually very actively. Uh, lobbying for the job behind the scenes. I don't think Stan was really doing much of anything in that particular episode. Um, so, so no, I, I don't know that I fully embrace the the, uh, the theory put forward there. I, I do think that um, there are some logical reasons why preferring Steve Alford over a couple of other candidates uh, makes sense, but 
it's a. I, I appreciate the attempt at humor. Let's put it that. Yeah, way. No, it, it, it's good, and I, and I feel bad not being able to contribute just because my Star Trek knowledge, as we've said on this podcast before, is nil, like le- almost less than nil. So yeah. I'm, you know, it, it, you know, uh, bring up Star Wars and we can talk. But the Star Trek, I've got, I, I've got nothing. So I'm going to defer and say Matt is absolutely correct on this one. There you go. I like um, that. All right. So Matt's other one. This is a really, really good question. So we can kind of pivot back to uh, kind of media and journalism talk. So this is again a uh, friend of the show, Matt Zimmerman. Saw the talk about debate come up again on Twitter this week. A journal a journalist from USA Today mentioned it, um, and this is uh, what Matt is referring to: is the practice of sports writers using, asking their questions and saying, "Talk about your play, your team's defense in the second half. Talk about your shooting after you know in the first ten minutes, something like that." So using right. "talk about" instead of asking a question, using the phrase "talk about." Matt, Matt continues, got me thinking about journalists judging other journalists' questions, which is a common occurrence. In a group setting, such as a press conference or post-game scrum, is it up to individual sports journalists to ask the questions that get them the best answers they can get for their individual stories? Or should they ask questions that please other sports journalists in the room in a phrasing that pleases the other sports journalists in the room? You you go first. All on right. This. So I am, I, and it's funny because I know the journalist to which Matt was referring to, and we had a little back and forth about this. I tend to be kind of agnostic on the whole talk about debate. I know Brian Curtis wrote a big thing about it at um, at Grantland when Grantland was a thing. Um, I, I I think because I think a. Um, when you're on deadline and in a locker room or a press conference setting, adrenaline and deadline kick in. And, you know, while we would love to be able to, I would love my students and I would love reporters to have really well thought out, well-crafted questions. I know sometimes you're just trying to get, get a quote for a story and that's the reality of the business. So, and I know I said the phrase talk about a metric ton during my career. So, you know, glass houses and all. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm of two minds of it because I think that, you know, and I see, you see this, I think a lot with TV reporters and, and like local TV reporters, you know, talk about what this game means to you guys. Well, that's a lazy ass question and get that out of here. You can think of a better way to say it, but I do think that talk about can be used in a way that, um, indicates that you're trying, that you're asking a more open-ended question and you can use it correctly. Like, you guys seem like you got really tired there toward the end of the end of the game. Can you talk about what they were doing offensively that 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 wore you guys out? And I think in that case, that's a perfectly fine use of it. Um, and so I so I you know, I'm not a let let's ban talk about uh, talk about questions. You know, I'm not. I, I, I find it really interesting and, and useful the way Matt frames this question. Um, basically, your job as a, as a sports reporter in the room is to ask the question that's going to get you the best answer for your story. Um, and, you know, one of the rules we te- I teach my, my students in interviewing is you're not there to show off. You're not there to, to look good to the source or by Matt's extension to other reporters. You're, you're there to, to, to look good. You're, you're there to get information for the reader. And and however and whatever the best way is to do that, and you know I think that you know if sometimes you know having to drop a talk about that, can you talk about that to to get some get maybe a reticent or quiet person to open up a little bit if that's useful and if that gets a good answer that's useful for your readers, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, and I'm not always a huge fan of 
what well, I guess would be bloggy called sports writer on sports writer crime or the shots fired type thing. You know, it's a it's a it's a really shitty job. A lot of times it's a fun job, but it's a really hard and time crunch job. And I think people are are really just doing. You know, everyone's doing the best they can, and you know. I don't know. I, I feel like there, there there are bigger issues to deal with in sports journalism, bigger both economic and system and systemic issues than whether reporters are saying talk about in a press conference. That strikes me more as a pet peeve and like a, like a, something that really grinds your gears rather than a big issue in sports journalism. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of in-depth journalistic analysis you can expect from a couple of professors in sports media. I just, this, this is a, this is, I, I, I think it's funny cause I think if, if there's a person in current or former sports journalism that is most opposed to like pleasing other people in the press room, it might be Matt Zimmerman. Right. Um, which is noble. Um, Absolutely. um, but I also look. I, I get the argument that the talk about thing is not a great question, but I also don't think it matters if you're getting an answer. Like okay. I don't think that. I mean, what are you like? What are we doing here? Like we're trying to, like at the end of the day, in a in a in a situation with a bunch of people what? sitting in a room talk you know trying to get this coach or this player to speak words ultimately you just want that person to say something quotable to put in your story right and um and ultimately i you know like until we start in giving out bonuses for the eloquence of the question, I tell you, I think a much bigger issue than people ask and talk about is people asking like three questions at once. Oh my God, no kidding! Holy I mean, I mean, cow, you know, I it's funny. That. All all of this, all of this, all this commentary on you know whether talk about's an acceptable question, and then I hear the just horrific. Um, like structuring where you got like, you know, coach, can you talk about this? And, and, you know, and, and second question, da, 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 da. And it's like, no, just ask a question. Right. Because, well, I mean, I mean, you know, first principles, Clarice, I mean, the first thing you want to do is, you know, if you ask two questions, they're going to answer the one that makes them look good or they have an easy, no, nothing facile answer to you never give them an out like that. Right. You know, you see, this is a big thing in political reporting. You see this like at White House press conferences when the White House has a press conference, or like some sort of you know campaign press conference when it's some big shot. And you know, it's you know, it is. It's reporters showing off. It's reporters trying to show how savvy they are, how smart they are. And no, screw that. Just ask ask a simple question. And 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 yeah. And, and when it gets to the bigger point too of you know how much are you you know. So the bigger, bigger, like fifty thousand foot issue here is how useful are press conferences? How useful are these post game interviews? And look, I understand the norms. Believe me, I understand the norms of sports journalism. I know, you know, the the idea you just got to get a quote for the story. That's a big deal, and that's nothing that that I'm going to just kind of brush under the under the table. Like that's a big systemic issue that I think we need to talk about. See what I did there? 
in, ah. in, in terms of media, in, in terms of sports media, but in terms of, but also kind of bringing it back day to day. Well, you know, you've got to get, you know, the, the, you, you're talking to somebody and you've got to get something in your deadlines coming. And I, and, 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 and I do get that, but yeah, I just, you know, I, it, 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 it bugs me when we kind of, you know, get caught up in these stupid little, in these stupid debates and, you know, we're falling right into that trap. But, but you know, instead of, well, what's the point of writing this story anyway? Who should we be talking to? What's a better way to cover this for for readers rather than, you know, are, are, are my questions good enough or something like that? And, you know, part of it, too, like I teach my students this, like, I teach them to, to not mind looking stupid in an interview or in a press conference. I tell them I would rather have you look, you know, feel like you look stupid in front of one person by asking a dumb what you think is a dumb question, than to assume something and to look stupid in print the next day in front of sixty thousand people or something like that. Yeah, I'm with you. I just I, to me, it's like it's a fake controversy that. You know, I, I, there's so many other things we could be concentrating students on at this point than right. that sort of thing. But right. hey, whatever. It is right. what it is. So, all right. So we have one <clears> other <throat> one other uh, internet question from today. It's from my uh, my brother-in-law, John Banker. Hey, John. Thank he he uh, has been listen, a faithful listener. So I thank him for listening. And he actually messaged me about this last week, and I missed it in the snowstorm. Um, he wants us to talk about the Pizza Hut pie top sneakers. Yeah. Which apparently is a real thing. It's I don't not... understand life. <laughs> so this is a real thing. So if you if you have watched the NCAA tournament, you have no doubt seen the Pizza Hut commercial with Grant Hill. Um, who sits down and, like, for one thing, Grant Hill has never eaten a Pizza Hut pizza, like, in the last never. 15 years. Let's, let's, get, let's be honest about that. So, um, actually, you know what? Okay. Before we, before we get to that, I actually bet Grant Hill has. Okay. I bet. uh, Here's the thing. Like we like to think certain foods or certain consumer goods are beneath people at a certain station in life. But Grant Hill was in college. He was a basketball player. He was at Duke. So, I mean, he was, you know, it was like a special kind of college, but at the end of the day, those guys are not that different from anybody else in college when they're hanging out at the dorm and they're playing, you know, what for Grant Hill at the time would have been like Nintendo, maybe Super Nintendo. Sure. You know, when you're hanging out, you're going to order pizza. And like in the late 80s, early 90s, like you ordered Pizza Hut or you ordered Domino's. Domino's like th- right. That was basically your only option. So I would be shocked if Grant Hill hadn't had like several. I don't think he's had any recently. Right. But 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 I'm, I'd be shocked if he hadn't ever actually had pizza. All right, all right, fair point. But we can sit. We will stipulate like within the past ten years, he probably has not eaten pizza. But anyway, I mean, who has? I have actually. Um, uh, yeah, so is my wife. Actually, my wife will. My wife orders Pizza Hut when I'm not in the house because she knows I won't eat it. I actually, you know, I I, I prefer if I'm going to get crappy pizza, I'm going to get Domino's any day of the week over pizza. Interesting, Hut. but yeah, um, but no. So the uh, so you've seen the commercial, and it's like the you can order by phone, you can order by app on the computer, or by by shoe. And haha, you hit the. It, it's a big like like it looks like the Reebok pump from the '90s. And um, you, know, you like hit the button, and it orders a pizza. Well, sure as shit, th- there is actually one pair of these Pizza Hut shoes, which apparently has a Bluetooth connection to it, 
and it connects to the Pizza Hut app that you will have on your mobile device, so that when you hit the button, it will play. It, will, it basically activates the app and places an order for your saved order or most recent one. So the Pizza Shoe thing, it, so it's a thing, and so that got me thinking, because I don't want this for Pizza Hut because Pizza Hut. But so, what food would I want to be able to have one touch delivery of? And what kind of clothing would be really, what's the ideal combination of food and clothing for like instant instant order where I don't even have to pick up a phone or anything? So I'm thinking, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you mull this, mull this over. My, the, the delivery would either, my food would either be a Mo's or Chipotle. So some sort of Mexican uh, like mm. fast casual Mexican. I don't. I, I I tend to tend to prefer most to Chipotle, but that's a very like fifty one forty nine eight nine game. So I could I could go either way on that one. I I, I could go either way on that one. Okay. Um, so whoever's offering me the best deal uh, of the day, probably Mo's because the chips and queso, the chips come with it, which is a huge deal. But anyway, right. so so okay. So we'll say Mo's. So what's the what's the what's the the, the piece of clothing? Because the shoe is funny, but you got to be wearing your shoes in the house. You got to have access to them. Um, you know, you got to wear the shoes in the first place, and they do. They look like the pumps from the '90s. So I'm thinking, le- I'm thinking like a lapel pin or like a button on the sh- on a shirt. So like, you, you got a button down shirt, and you got the, the useless pocket up on the on the breast pocket. You get like a little button on there that you can press. Twenty minutes later, to a Mo's or Chipotle at your door. This is what I do with my days, apparently. Think I'm thinking. Things. I've been. I've been thinking about this real hard. Um, well, on the on the piece of clothing thing, I actually this is where I think Google Glass should have gone. Oh, good call. Yes. Because I mean, like, just like if you're wearing the glasses around, and you can just like press a button, or you could like you know mind control the app, right, to place the order without really you know like just one just a one one like food, and then boom, like it orders it automatically. Right. Um, what am What am I getting delivered? Yeah. What are you? Yeah. Uh, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to pretend that I'm not lactose intolerant and I'm going to say cold stone creamery. Ooh, ice cream. Huge. Very Cause I mean, fact. I think, I think ice cream as a delivery item is actually maybe the most underrated food stuff. No question. Yeah. Any kind of, any kind of dessert. Yeah. Some, uh, ice cream or like any kind of dessert type food I think would be great because that's what your... And that that's the that that kind of you know solves the nine thirty at night. You're hungry. You want something sweet, but you know you're not gonna make anything. You know you're not gonna make a pie at nine thirty at night. Um, you're not gonna make a batch of cookies or anything like that. You know you just want something there. Um, and, and and that I do I I will quibble a little bit. I think Google Glass that was a great idea, but I think that's a bit of a of a cheat. Because that's wearable tech. That's no different than like an Apple Watch or like my Fitbit. My, my, like, you wanted a lapel pin. How is that not wearable? Or tech? no, no, a button. Like, so, well, okay. Well, that's if, still wearable tech. Okay, but then the shoe is wearable tech too. I'm turning talking well, about then, turning then, the tech into clothing, not. Well, and glasses aren't clothing. No, their glasses are not clothing. Okay. I'm going. I'm. I'm I, so I'm, shoes are shoes are clothes, but glasses aren't. Yes. Okay, I don't. I don't agree with that at all. But all right, ask me my reasoning for it. I don't really want to know. I, I don't really have that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, 
Well, I mean, am I so? Does that mean okay. I'm not allowed to have like the the Star Trek: The Next Generation like? No, no, I'll grant thing that ooh. thing that you press on your chest. You know the. That's basically the, what I'm looking for. Yeah, like the, the like the uh, you know again, I don't do Star Trek, so I don't know the name of it. Matt Matt Zimmerman right now is listening to this podcast, yelling at his at his phone or computer the name of it. But like the little thing that you hit, that's what I want. Although instead of speaking to it, I hit it, and and, and I get a burrito in 20 minutes. I don't think that's too much to ask. You know, we have technology to do it. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I you know, it's interesting. Do, do we need wearable anything? No. I mean, we've got devices all over our houses. Like, I just I think the wearable aspect of it is is kind of unnecessary. No, I mean, I mean, the one wearable. So I actually I say this. I have two things of where uh, two things of quote wearable tech. I have a Fitbit, um, one of the I don't know the newest. Fitbit thing, so it measures steps and it, and heart rate and stuff like that. And it also it connects to my phone and it has a so I get like when when I get a call or a text, I get I get an alert and it shows up on my on my wrist, which is kind of handy, but also kind of a pain in the butt. And I also have um, see, I think wearables work when there's a specific purpose to them. So like the Fitbit, generally like steps, health, physical health, or something like that. I I have this piece of I have this spire it's a little stone that my wife got me and you wear it around and, and, and it's a little thing and I'm, I'm showing it to my computer like you can see me um but um it's a it's a little thing it buckles to your to your waistband and you wear it anywhere and it measures your breathing and so basically the idea of it is when it te- when it can sense that you're breathing in a rapid manner like in a ma- manner that indicates that you're under stress it buzzes and, and you get an alert on your phone at the same time saying your breathing has been stressful for five minutes. Time to right. take a deep breath or something like that. It's amazing. It's actually really, really helpful if you have like anxiety or stress or kind of anything like that. And I think that's where, you know, I think that wearables, when they have a specific purpose like that, can be really useful. I think one of the many myriad problems with the way Google Glass came out was that it was just kind of this cool thing that, like, hey, you're wearing glasses that are also a computer. And there's not that, you know, I feel like for when you, for, for stuff like wearable tech, you do need that hook for consumers to be able to say, oh, that's the problem that this solves. Like, I want to move more. Hey, the Fitbit will tell me if I've reached 10,000 steps and it will buzz me when I need to or when I had it. And Google Glass doesn't really solve that problem. Yeah, I guess. Um, Did you have think... Google Glass? I'm trying no, to No, actually, okay. I tried to sign up for it. Oh, that's right. And you had to pay for it or something like that. They wanted to, they wanted me to pay fifteen hundred dollars for it, and I was like, no, no. I'm not doing that. <clears throat> so yeah, no. Uh, and I have a Fitbit, um, and it's nice. It doesn't do a whole lot more than my phone did, right? But uh, no, I mean, look, I think you're right to some degree. I think a lot of it comes down to. You know, what are you going to get people to spend money on? It's either solving a problem or it's just something that becomes ubiquitous. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think the food ordering thing, I just don't think we need wearables for that. No, no, and definitely definitely not. And uh, like you were saying with the Google Glass, like you want to think um, think food. But how many times have you thought, you know, oh, man, I wish Taco Bell delivered? And Lord knows you don't need that thought 
that kind of technology tied to an actual thing that shows up in 20 minutes with, 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 with a gordita or something like that. Because that, that's not ending well for anybody. Probably so, not, no. No. <laughs> so, our, I think we have helped a lot of people today. That's always our goal, and I feel like you know we might have accomplished more today than we normally do, so we I'm do. happy. We do. Well, we know we're back at our normal time, so we're kind of back in our normal groove. We're feeling, you know, we're feeling kind of happy. We we we've had a full day to kind of mull over the topics that that, that people want to talk about. So we um, we will continue to do so as we move forward, folks. Send your topics in. If you didn't like today's topics, we have others. <laughs> Uh, to paraphrase uh, the great Groucho Marx, we, we're willing to talk about pretty much anything, but we need your help. Right, right. We need to know how we can help you. So, anyway, we'll be back with more next week. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us on Twitter, at BP Moritz or at Dr. GC is the best way to do so. Um, if you are in the Phoenix area, you can catch me live next week. Um, I might be podcasting. I don't okay. know. But, but we'll do a podcast before. Um, I'll give you the preview and then the uh, the afterglow. Oh, that's right. Of, of the, the communication and sport conference that's, out there. Yes. That's right. I'm, I, I will not be joining you guys in Phoenix for Final Four weekend and the conference. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to make it happen this year. But next year, it's in Bloomington. So if nothing else, in one year, we will finally have the uh, the live taping of, a, of the flip side. So Thir- 13 months, but yes, absolutely. 13 months, all right. Cool. So, but anyway, yeah, for, uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. This has uh, been our podcast and we have enjoyed bringing it to you and uh, we will catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody.